So the, the, the line from the song that Reed was men- mentioned, um, the second part he didn't, didn't quote, but it says, no condemnation now I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine. And we're gonna talk about that today, what that means for us individually, also what that means for us as a body of believers, but what a precious truth, everything that Jesus can share with his people, he does share with us in himself, in him. Um, So let me pray and then uh, we'll jump into our passage here this morning. Father in heaven, we honor you, we worship you, our God and our Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in the fullness of time you sent forth your Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem lost sinners who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because we are sons, you have sent the Spirit of your Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We thank you that that cry that we have to you as our dear Father, as our Abba, Father, the cry that Jesus spoke from the Garden of Gethsemane, we thank you that you have put this in us by your Holy Spirit. You have transformed us. You have brought us from death to life. We thank you that you speak to us primarily through your word, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear this morning what you have to say, that we would humble ourselves underneath your word, that we would tremble at your word, and that we would have hearts that are receptive to receive it, and that we would get up transformed. As Jesus prayed, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is the truth. In your name we pray, amen. Um, So today we're gonna start a new series on the church and specifically the local church and what it means to be a body of Christ locally. Theologians and Christians uh, traditionally have spoken of the church in two ways, the church universal or the invisible church, and then the church, the local church or the visible church. The universal church or the invisible church is every person everywhere at all times who have, ever, who have ever believed in Jesus. They are part of the universal church, right? They're everywhere, those in the past, those that will believe in Christ next year, part of the universal church. The local church is, of course, the constituent parts of the universal church gathered in local bodies, serving one another and serving the communities in that local context. So the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at what it means to be a faithful, committed member of the body of Christ, member as in hands, feet of the body of Christ. We're going to take different statements from our Real Life Church covenant statement, um, which are all from the Bible, okay? We're not talking about extra curricular or extra biblical sorts of things, But uh, we're going to take some statements from our covenant statement and look at what does it mean for us to be faithful, committed members of the body of Christ. You know, we are a consumer-driven people, right? We consume, we consume, we consume. We look for the best deal and we look for the most appealing product. Well, we can't approach the church that way. When it comes to the church, Christ 
the Lord calls us to commitment, calls us to faithfulness, to actual people, right? To actual people in a local body. He calls us to give ourselves to him and to his church, locally, and then, of course, universally as well. So out of love for Christ, we're going to look at some of these things. How do we, how do we um, move forward? How do we live faithful, committed lives in the local church? It's interesting. Jesus doesn't just love the church in its entirety, the universal church, which, of course, he does, but he also loves all of its parts, right? He loves local bodies, local churches, where his work is done in local communities. Think of the seven churches that Jesus spoke to or had a message for in Revelation 2 and 3. Jesus spoke to the church at Laodicea, to the church at Philadelphia, to the church at Thyatira and so forth. Jesus spoke to these churches and had a message for them. He has He loves his church. He loves his church in its entirety and he loves local bodies of believers. He loves this church. He's faithful to this body of believers. As we grow in our love for Jesus, who is the head of the church, guess what we will love more and more? His church. Right? As we love Christ more and more, we will love his church more and more in real action, right? Uh, on the ground, involvement as living members of the local body. So this morning, um, well, next week we're going to jump into some of the statements that we have in the covenant statement. This, but this morning, I want to take a look at a text that I think lays out for us what a church is in its essence. It really gets to the heart of the identity, the fundamentally, fundamental identity of the church, both the church universal and also each true local church. And so I'm going to read these verses out of Romans 8. It's in your bulletin. You can open your Bibles and follow along if you have them handy or get on your smartphone and follow along there. I'm going to read Romans 12, verses 3 to 8, and then we're just going to uh, see what this text says. Unpack it. Romans 12, 3 to 8 says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is God's word. 
There are basically two points to this passage, at least that's the way that I'm going to break it up this morning or, or, or approach it this morning. Two main points. The church's identity is found first in Christ. Right? As a local body, our identity is first and foremost found in Christ. And our identity is also found with one another. So it's found in Christ and it's found with one another. Let's, let's just think about both of those things one at a time. First, our identity is found in Christ. We are one body in Christ. Verse 5 says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ. A church fundamentally identifies with Christ. It does not first and foremost identify with a tradition, whether it be a theological tradition or a denominational tradition. There might be some, there might, there might be some good things in that, but that's not how we fundamentally identify as a church. We identify with Christ. Our identity does not come from a political party, praise the Lord, right? It comes from being in Christ. It doesn't come from being part of a certain country or ethnicity or race. Our identity as a church is that we are one body in Christ. We are united in Christ. We are united through Christ. We are uni- united because of Christ. Jesus Christ creates a unity that we could never create on our own. Think of how often you here, maybe here this morning or when you're rubbing shoulders with friends who are also Christians in Bible study and prayer meetings, think of how often you hear another Christian say brother or sister when talking to a friend. Why is that? It's because we have this unity in Christ. We are now family. We are truly brothers and sisters. I mean, I got to tell you, when we meet on Saturday mornings, the number of times I hear brother, you couldn't count. Over and over and over again, we're brothers, right? Jesus, the firstborn among many brothers, has brought us into God's family and united us by his blood and in himself in a way that we could yet never unite ourselves we could never we could never knit ourselves together in this way we truly are brothers and sisters in Christ Galatians 3 verses 26 and 20 through 28 says for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith for as many of you as were baptized into Christ you have put on Christ through faith there is neither Jew nor Greek There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, the point of this passage is not to remove all human distinctions, right? Like, it's not saying that we look out among a mass of Christians and say, I don't even see a difference between men and women. Of course we do, right? The point is that we are united in Christ, that these things don't unite us, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, whether you are slave or free, whether you're men or women, it's that we are one in Jesus Christ. The point of our unity is in Christ. Think about the supernatural nature of a faithful, true local body where 
Christians are gathered together and committed to one another. It's something that Jesus did that we can't do. He unites us. The church is not just a human institution. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that the church is a superhuman and supernatural and spiritual society. And it's because we're united in Christ. But I think there's more to, the fra- to this phrase. And I, and I want to key in on two words. The two words, in Christ. We are one body, right? We're, we're united because of Jesus, through Jesus, in Jesus. But there's these two words, in Christ. We are one body, in Christ. And I think this points us to the biblical truth of our union with Christ as believers, but then this points to our union with Christ as the church. I heard somebody once say that union with Christ is the most important doctrine you haven't heard of. Hopefully you have, because we've talked about it quite often here. Union with Christ. There is a universe of riches in the phrase, in Christ. If somehow you can monetize every square inch of real estate in all the cosmos and put a dollar amount on it, it wouldn't compare to the riches that are found in these two words, in Christ. You and I are in Christ. If you believe in Jesus, you are a man, a woman, a child, in Christ. John Murray, in his book, Uh, redemption accomplished and applied said the following he said union with Christ is really the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation it's not simply a phase of redemption it underlies every aspect of it this is so central to Paul's definition or Paul's understanding of what a Christian is a man or a woman in Christ Somebody, I read some, uh, somewhere a couple years ago, maybe, that someone said there, that Paul uses this phrase, in Christ or in him or in Christ Jesus, some variation of that phrase, like 163 times in his letters. That this was so central to Paul's understanding of salvation and what it means to be a saved person, a redeemed person. We are men and women and children in Christ. Listen to how Martin Luther put it. I th- I, if I remember right, this was an exposition that Martin Luther gave on the Song of Solomon. And it's glorious. Listen to what he says. Kind of a long uh, quotation, so just stay with me. All right, it's good. Here's what Martin Luther says. Faith unites the soul with Christ as a bride is united with her bridegroom. From such a marriage, as Paul says, it follows that Christ and the soul become one body so that they hold all things in common, whether for better or worse. This means that what Christ possesses belongs to the believing soul. And what the soul possesses belongs to Christ. Thus, Christ possesses all good things and holiness. These now belong to the soul. The soul possesses 
vices and sin, these now belong to Christ. Christ, the rich, noble, and holy king and bridegroom, takes in marriage this poor, contemptible, and sinful little prostitute, takes away her sin, takes away her evil, and bestows all of his goodness upon her. Sin can no longer overwhelm her, for she is now found in Christ. This is why Paul can say in Ephesians 1.3 that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly, heavenly places belong to us, where? In Christ. Think about that. Here's just a sampling of all that is ours because we are in Christ. If you believe in him, this is true of you. You don't have to do something to make this true. This is true because you are in Christ. Romans 8.1, Reed said it earlier. We sang about it. There is no condemnation in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.4, we receive grace upon grace upon grace, endless grace in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are made new men and women, new creatures in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30, we are sanctified, we are set apart for God's purposes, and we are being sanctified in Christ. Again, 1 Corinthians 1.30, we are redeemed in Christ. Philippians 3.9, we are justified in Christ. Ephesians 4.32, we are forgiven fully in Christ. Romans 6.23, we receive eternal life in Christ. Ephesians 1.4, we are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Romans 8.39, we cannot be separated ever, ever, ever from God's love in Christ. And we are adopted in Christ. Galatians 4, 4 to 6, or what I read earlier from Galatians 3, 26 to 28. These are unspeakably glorious truths that belong to us. Remember right? the, the song we sang? Jesus and all in him is mine. So what does this mean for us as a body? We are one body in Christ. What does it mean to be one body in Christ? Well, all of these things that I just went through are true of us together. We experience all of these things. We get to, by faith, enjoy all of these things Together, we are free from condemnation. Together, when we gather together, we are an uncondemned people in Christ. We are a grace-soaked people together. We are a new people together. New creations gathered together, one body in Christ. We are a new people. We are a sanctified people. We are being sanctified together, growing in Christ-likeness together because we're in Christ. We are the redeemed people of God, Psalm 107. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We are a people justified fully through the blood of Calvary. 
We can stand before God justified, right? The righteousness of Christ given to us as a gift and we can do that together because we are one body in Christ. We are a people fully forgiven together. We are recipients of the free gift of eternal life together. We are a people with the spirit of adoption together. We've been adopted. We are God's beloved children together. We cannot be separated from the love of God together, all because we are one body in Christ. Think about how that would change if we begin seeing each other and seeing ourselves in that light. I'm gathering together I mean, listen, we're just ordinary people, right? We have lots of flaws. We have lots of things God's growing us in. We still struggle with sin, all of that. But what if preeminent in our mind was this identity in Christ as a body that I'm gathering together with people who are going to live forever? That God loves that Christ spilled his blood for. Forgiven people, justified people. I remember hearing somebody once say that, talking about husbands, I mean, so talking about husbands and wives and a a saved, you know, Christian couple. And he said, husbands, how would it change the way you dealt with your wife, loved your wife, if you saw her as someone who's justified by the blood of Christ? that she is righteous in Christ. The the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to her. She's righteous. How would that change? How would it change if we did that as a body? It's no small thing to be a part of the body of Christ. It's no small thing to be vitally connected as an integral member of a local body. Christ died to obtain the church. When Paul was speaking to the elders at Ephesus in Ephesians 20, and he's urging them, watch over the flock that, that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers of, he says that Christ obtained with his own blood. Christ spilled his blood to unite us in him and bestow all of these riches upon us. So, we identify with Christ, we are one body in Christ. But we also identify with one another. A, a, a local church, the church universal, of course, but a local church, more practically and directly, we identify with one another. We are individually members of one another. That's the second part of verse five. Individually members of one another. Now notice how there's a dual emphasis here. We are individuals, right? In other words, there is quite a lot of diversity in a healthy body. Diversity of giftings, diversity of personalities. We were gathered together, and somebody just had the humility, for prayer this last week one time, and somebody just had the humility, I won't say who, um, that he said, wouldn't it be horrible if everyone was like me? And some, you know, At least one person there thought, yeah, probably. (laughs) There's a lot of diversity, right? Individuality is valued in Christ, in the body of Christ. 
Paul could have said, we are one body in Christ and members of one another, and that would have been true. But he says, we are individually members of one another. He emphasizes the individuality of each constituent member in a body. So we're individuals, each one of us. We bring something. We bring diversity. But of course, a church is not just a bunch of individuals. We are individuals who are members of one another. Members of one another. In other words, we serve no purpose outside the body doing our own thing. I'm not saying we don't do stuff outside the four walls. Of course we do. But we serve no purpose just doing our own thing. What's the purpose of my right hand? It's not to do whatever it feels like doing on its own, right? My right hand finds its meaning, its God-given purpose in serving the good of the rest of my body, right? Helping to wash my face, picking up a fork and putting food on it and bringing it to my mouth so I can eat. And so it is with you and the body of Christ. The way God has made you, you have to understand this, the way God has made you and the diversity and the diverse giftings you bring to the body of Christ, it cannot be fully known except in serving the other members of the body empowered by Christ. In verse 6, I think this is drawn out, or these two things are brought together. When, when it says, having gifts that differ, that's the individual, right? Gifts that differ, that's the diversity. According to the grace given to us, that's kind of the unifying part. The, we, the same grace, the same God bestows grace upon each member of the body. Let us use them. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them, the diverse gifts. Peter says almost the same thing in 1 Peter 4.11 when he says, as each one has received a gift, use it. I, like, I love the way that New American Standard puts it. As each one has received a gift, employ it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In other words, let's use the abilities God has given us. To what end? For the good of the body. Not for your own self-gratification, for the good of the body. so that the body is built up and strengthened, so that the body is made stronger and more faithful, so that the body represents Christ better by each member, right, using their diverse gifts to strengthen and build up. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, that's Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, 
and makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the point. United in Christ, individuals working together, serving one another in the strength Christ provides so that the body of Christ is built up in love. So that we're strong. So that we represent Christ our Lord well. And so... If you're not actively working for the building up of the body of Christ, if that's not on your radar, it's like having a lame hand or foot, atrophied from lack of use. And that's not to make you feel bad, mainly. It's just the reality. Here's how I want to end this morning. I want, I want to end by thinking about some reasons why your vital connection and your vital commitment to the body of Christ in this local context is vitally important. Your commitment, your connection to the body of Christ here is vitally important. Why is it so important? Why does it matter that you identify with Christ and with a particular, excuse me, identify in Christ and with a particular people in a local church. And let's just apply it here to this local church, if this is your church. Let me give you three reasons why this matters. First, it matters for our worship. The highest reason we exist is to worship. That's, that's why we're alive. The preeminent purpose of your existence individually and of the church's existence corporately is to worship. Fundamentally, it all starts here. Worship is more than singing, right? It's singing, but it's so much more than that. It's our entire lives. Think about, why did God call the Israelites out of Egypt? Or why did God raise up Moses to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go? Why? So that they could worship him. Right? And when Pharaoh said, how about just the men? Just the men and women. Keep the, keep the kiddos back. And God said, nope, every one of them. All of them. I want all of them brought out. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is the chief end of man? Many of you know this. The first part of it says to glorify God and to enjoy, and the second part is and to enjoy him forever. But the first part, to glorify God, that is the chief end of man. I think it was St. Augustine who said something like, if we are not living for the glory of God preeminently, then we are a thing, this is like you know, 1,600 years ago, so he said something like, we are a thing of naught. We're nothing, right? We're not, we're not living for that main purpose that we exist for, for the glory of God, to worship him. And so this integral vitality of our connection, our commitment to one another in the local context, it matters for how we do this for how we glorify God, how we worship him. Listen to 
Romans 15, five and six. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus. Listen to this. That together with one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That together with one voice, again, more than just singing, right, but with one voice, in one accord, in total unity, glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. So what I've laid out today in understanding the church is vital to our worship, but it's, there's more than that. Here's another reason why it's so important for our fellowship. Fellowship, New Testament idea of fellowship is more than getting together to watch football and hang out and shoot the breeze and drink coffee, all those things I'm perfectly happy to do. I enjoy doing those things and, and fellowship happens there. But it's more than that. The word fellowship, the Greek word koinonia, means a sharing in life together. It means having things in common. Not like, hey, we both like the bears, right? But sharing commonality, sharing our lives with one another. Acts chapter two, at the end, um, this early church after, you know, Peter preached and 3,000 souls were saved, they were baptized. It says, among other things, it says they had everything in common. The word common there is koinos, which is in the same word grouping as koinonia. They had everything in common. They shared together. They shared life together. They did life together. We, we see a glimpse of how important this was to the persecuted Christians in the book of Hebrews, right? The book of Hebrews was written too. In Hebrews chapter 10, um, it says that the author's writing to some, he says, you showed compassion to those who were in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property because you knew that you had a better possession and an abiding one. But that phrase, you showed compassion to them, more than likely meant they visited their friends, Christians that were in prison, bringing them food, bringing them other necessities to stay alive. If you, were in, if you were in a Roman jail back in the first century, you didn't have direct TV or uh, internet and you didn't get three square meals a day. You had to have friends from the outside bring things you needed. Fellowship was a pretty important thing, right? The local church for these Christians that were in prison, it was like a lifeline. They needed them. And more and more, this is going to be important for us, I think. Don't forsake the fellowship. I mentioned this book a couple weeks ago, um, Rod Dreher's book, Live Not By Lies, and, and it's a book about how to live faithfully under what he calls soft totalitarianism. And he, a lot of the book is just storytelling of believers who lived in the Soviet bloc, Eastern Europe, Czechoslovakia, and Poland, and so forth. And one thing that he, he said from talking to these individuals that was so important that they relayed to him, one thing that got them through was fellowship, was small groups, was doing life together 
We're so, I mean, in, in one sense, we've never been no, more connected than we are right now. Like everyone's got the world in their pocket, right? They can talk to anyone. They can video call anyone almost anywhere in the world. And in another sense, we've never been more isolated. We need fellowship, real fellowship in the body. Don't forsake the fellowship. It's vitally important that you remain, you and I remain in fellowship. It's for our life. It's for our protection. It's for our sanctification and growth and godliness. And finally, this is, this, this understanding of the local church as, as identifying in Christ and with one another in a local context is so important for our witness. Just as we use our bodies to accomplish tasks, so the Lord carries out his saving, redeeming work through his body, through his hands, through his feet. Think about the book of Acts, right? How on earth, how can you account for the spread of the gospel? Started with just 120 nobodies, right? The spread of the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost regions or uttermost parts of the Roman Empire in 30 years. Well, one way to say it is Jesus did it. Amen, right? The Holy Spirit did it. Praise the Lord. Another way to think of it, though, and it's equally true, is that it was the body of Christ filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? It was God's people. It was, it was followers of Jesus Going and sending, right? Some going, some sending. Preaching and serving. Contributing and showing hospitality. Showing mercy and speaking truth to power. All of these things account for the explosive spread of the gospel. Jesus tells us that our corporate life is an apologetic, how we live among each other, how we live amongst ourselves, how we do life together is an apologetic and a witness to outsiders when he said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. After Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, this newly formed church with these 3,000 new believers, they were baptized and listen to what the effect of, listen to what the effect was upon these believers and how it had an effect upon the people around them. It says, and they devoted themselves, these new Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day after day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day 
those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number, right? As they loved one another and gave themselves to one another and God was doing amazing things among, among them. They lived life together. It was a witness to those around them and of course, the preaching of the gospel as well. We are, here at Real Life Church, we are one body in Christ and we are individually members one of another. This is vitally important not just to be a spiritual truth that we mentally adhere to, but a reality that we live out in experience here at Real Life Church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we honor you. We praise your holy name. We thank you that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now we are your people. Once we had not received mercy, now we have received mercy. We thank you, Lord.